Hey, welcome to the Sermon MP3 from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. This is Sunday, October 3, 2021. And this Sunday we start a new series called A Flourishing Life. And this Sunday's message is entitled Our Flourishing God. See, it's impossible to have a flourishing life without a flourishing God. Stay tuned. God bless you as you listen. Well, I've got a question for you that uh, I often think about, actually. It's, a, it's one that is kind of always pressing on my mind, and I want you to think about it for a second. The question is this, what is the most important thing you've ever learned in church? Think that through for a second. What is the most important thing you have ever learned in church? What one thought, what one idea, what one truth above all other truths have you learned personally that changes everything for you? Maybe you learned it from a Sunday school teacher on a flannel graph one year. Maybe you learned it from a book on Christian living that you got from the bookstore or the library. Maybe you learned it from a friend or maybe from a pastor or a blog that you enjoy, a podcast. Maybe you learned it just by yourself, by reading the Bible all on your own, and it just kind of leapt off the page. And ever since, it's been the most important thing you have ever learned in church. What is the most important thing you have ever learned? learned in church. Now, I would imagine that most of you would have to think about that for a while. I I know I did, but for the sake of time, let me share with you what I think is the most important thing I've ever learned in church. Are you ready for it? It's quite mind-blowing, okay? It's going to blow your mind when you hear it. Are you ready? God is love. Well, that wasn't quite the response I was expecting to hear from that most profound thing that I've learned from my Bible. Uh, But, I mean, think about it. It, Doesn't that just kind of freak you out when you think of those words that God is love? I mean, could there be any more important idea in the universe than God is love? (laughs) I guess, again, not quite the response I was expecting uh, this morning. Actually, to be honest with you, I've even written this in my notes. I was expecting you to respond that way. (laughs) I honestly didn't think that you would be all that wowed by what I have found to be the most important thing I've learned in church. Because it seems so simple, doesn't it? It seems so obvious that it should go without saying, right? But I want you to think about something else. What brought you here this morning, if not that thought. What keeps you coming on, on to Sunday mornings except that thought that God is love? I mean, is not every aspect of your faith or your search for faith not built on this one thought that God is love? That's a little better. Of course, that truth is evident in the most often quoted Bible verse, John 3.16. And maybe that's why we consider it so obvious, so simple, that we don't get all that wowed by it. We've heard it so often, for God so loved the world that what? Right, you know it. But there's a much fuller development of it by John in one of his epistles. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, where the apostle also says, And we also know. And we rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. 
in them. So this is really the foundational premise of Christianity. It's the one that Christianity is based on. It's its theology. It's its hope. It's its practice. And, and it began, it begins in an understanding of who and what God is. See, what seems so simple and, and obvious at first turns out to be far more involved. And within this and the surrounding verses, verses 7 to 17, we find the reason for this new series that we're in. Now, as I read these verses, I want you to do something for me. I want you to raise your hand every time I read and you read the word love. Okay? I want you to raise your hand when you see it on the overhead or in your Bible, or or I say it, I want you to raise your hand. And when I say the word God, I want you to raise your hand. You got that? Let's try it. Love. There you go. God. There you go. Okay. Let's read it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 17. So it will be here. It'll be in your Bibles. And uh, let's walk through. This is from the, the NIV version. Dear friends, let us love one another. Good for you. For love comes from God. And whoever loves has been born of God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Some people are raising their hands. They just don't know what to do. (laughs) This is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his one and only son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. I hope you're doing this online. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And we know and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. He repeats it. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. I bet my staff that I could get you to raise your hands way more than Aaron could this morning. And I just, I just did that. All right, let's go through this passage uh, a little bit at a time here this morning, and uh, we'll explore this God is love and what it means for us today. First point is this, number one, God's love describes God's nature. If you've got your sermon notes, you can start writing in there. God's love describes God's nature. First John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says, Dear friends, let us love one another. Some of you just love to raise your hands. That's great. For love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You know, one of the things that that I remember being struck by when I was first exploring Christianity was that the Christians that I knew that the the Christians uh, that I knew were and that I was getting to know really at that time because I really didn't know any before grade eleven. They all claimed that they were flourishing in life because they had this personal relationship with God. 
I mentioned that last week, that we evangelicals even brag about that. That's sort of our benchmark, right? We can have a personal relationship with God. Now, if you've grown up in the church, you, you might not appreciate what kind of a statement that is. To someone really far from God like I was, that's like crazy talk. I used to think that folks like you were a few fries short of a Happy Meal because of that kind of a statement. Like, how do you ever dare to claim to know God if he exists? But because of a guy from Quito, Ecuador, a missionary kid, who stepped out of his comfort zone in my grade 11 English class and befriended me and told me that I could know God personally myself in Jesus, I soon realized that he wasn't all that crazy and neither were the rest of you. See, that claim of a personal relationship with God began to intrigue me, to attract me. And then one day, it committed me. I really then confessed with my own mouth that Jesus would be my Savior and the Lord of my life. But that was just the beginning. After that, I began the journey of knowing him personally. Didn't know that just, just the prospect of knowing him. I began to know him personally. And one of the very first things that I learned about God was, what do you think? God is love. That's what it says in the, in the, the first law of the four spiritual laws track. Do you, remember, do you remember these little tracks, these Bible tracks that used to hand out? You can still get them from the Christian bookstore. But the first law of, of, the wit, of this witnessing track, if you remember it, the first law says, God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. What a fantastic premise. And then even in the Billy Graham one called Steps to Peace with God, it starts off with this. God loves you and wants you to experience peace and life abundantly and eternal. I mean, how fantastic is that? God loves you and wants you to experience peace and life abundant and eternal. Now, initially, you and I are tempted to tackle that truth from a typical Western academic point of view. We look at God is love as a means of defining God. And while it does define something of God, it no more defines him than if I were to say, Mike Newson is handsome. Why are you giggling? Why are you laughing? It's true, but it's not enough to define all about me, is it? Being handsome is not my nature. It's a diminishing quality, in fact. In fact, that's why I wear a beard, because I'm starting to diminish. And I will one day stop being handsome. But God will not stop being love, right? Meaning, he will never stop doing anything that is loving. He will never betray that part of his nature. It's who he is. It's not something he can lose. And that means you and I gain. From that, right? That's the difference between me being handsome and God being love, because handsome doesn't determine how I will relate to other people all the time. But because God is love, because it's his nature, it's his love that governs all of his activity in the universe. It qualifies what he says, it qualifies what he does, and it qualifies what he promises to do in the future. Why don't we celebrate that with a hallelujah? Just raise your hand. There you go. Praise the Lord. Number two. Number two. God's love advances God's work in us. 
God's love advances God's work in us. 1 John 4, 7 to 10. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Folks, God is at work in the world. He's always been at work in this world since the day he created it. He is at work in this world, and like we learned last month, the Father sent the Son to accomplish a specific task, a specific work. Namely, to reveal to us what God is like. John chapter 1. Read it through. And what is God like? Well, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 11 says, He is love. And without Jesus, it would have been impossible for you and I to know God like this. Because without that atoning sacrifice of Christ, you and I would still be dead in our sins. And that was the work of Christ. And it was his work. And because it was the work of the Father before it was his work. They share in that work, in fact, the Bible tells us. And that work of God is not advanced through the world by judgment and condemnation. It was and is and always has been advanced by his love alone. Shown ultimately in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Hallelujah. First John 4 verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. It was because... It was his nature to love that he made it his work and his mission to love you. And he relentlessly pursued you even though you were totally unworthy of love because of your sinfulness, but he still loved you. Verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Oh, friends, God's love is so selfless that the only way to save you was to sacrifice his one and only son, the son he loves, Jesus. He had to send his one and only son to the world to die on a Roman torture device, a cross, to pay for the penalty of your sins, to bring you back into his love fully. That's the extent of his love. In fact, the way God saw it, He really couldn't do anything else. You were worth the price. He loved you that much and he paid it. It was because of God's love that he didn't give up on you when you refused him the first time or the second or the thousandth time, right? Thank God he didn't give up on us. Now, I think you probably already appreciate this, but it has to be said. That is to say that the work of Jesus paid for my sin is really, that that idea, that, that phrase, that he came to pay for my sin is really undervaluing the love of God and, the, and it insufficiently describes his work. See, Jesus didn't just pay for my sin. He paid for the sins of the world, past, present, and future. Amen? The sins of the world. 
And it says here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So it, it wasn't just enough to love me. And it wasn't just enough to love the whole world. Through God's love, through what he has already accomplished, he extends that love perpetually through the generations to the nations. God's love would not be complete love. Let me explain a little bit more about that. What John is saying is that you get, when you get the love of God for yourself, when you thoroughly appreciate the work of Christ on the cross, then the dynamic of your relationship changes. Here's a diagram that we use often here at Lawson to describe how this works. It's called My Life Network. This is me or you in the center of all these other things. These are the activities and the relationships that are part of your life, the network of your life. And this is how you relate to God. God was on the outside of your life. And you didn't know him. Remember, you didn't want God in your life then. And you thought that you could get your life to flourish all on your own without God. And when he tried to get entry into your life, you kept denying him and you kept pushing him further away from you. There were times when you felt vulnerable in life, though, and you begged God to help you in the different activities and relationships that you had that weren't working. And maybe you even tried bribing God with better behavior or maybe more dedication to church attendance. But God didn't want to be just another obligation of yours. He certainly didn't want to be on the outside looking in. He wanted, in fact, he expected a different relationship with you. And it wasn't until you fully, thoroughly appreciated the work of Christ on the cross... That your relationship with God changed. And it changed you, didn't it? This is how that new relationship looks now. See what took place here? God is no longer on the outside. You don't remember what that was like maybe. But maybe you do. Maybe you remember when someone. It felt like someone removed the blindfold and the handcuffs from your life. Do you remember that? When you could finally see God for the first time and you realize that God was real in Christ. And that changed the way you saw the people in your life network too. All of a sudden, you had compassion and mercy and forgiveness for people that you did not even like before. And if it wasn't for the fact that you were now born of God, those attitudes probably would have overwhelmed you. But because of God's new indwelling presence in you, he makes it possible for you to appreciate it and live it out. So that new relationship to God in Christ changed you. It changed everything about you. Don't you think we should applaud God for that? Let's give God a hand. Amen. Number three, God's love commands God's work through us. God's love commands God's work through us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 to 12. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. 
Now, the thing that you've no doubt already experienced in your spiritual journey is that the love for, that you have for others is not always easy. Loving others is not always easy. Not just because they're, they're difficult people or hard-to-love people in your life network, but because sometimes you don't feel like it, right? Sometimes you don't want to love others, especially the difficult, hard-to-love people. Sometimes you don't feel like you have time to. However, looking at our reasons, the list is pretty short, actually, isn't it? Your love, my love for others isn't always flourishing. I think we just need to confess that. That's, that's just the reality of us, isn't it? And you know what? That's why there is an ought in John's words. Let's look at it. Verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, that's Jesus on the cross, right? Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, God's love advances God's work in us so that he can command his work through us. That means that God commands his work to be our work, doesn't he? And God commands that our love ought to work like his love works. That's sacrificially. In John's second letter, he reminds his audience of this, 2 John verses 5 and 6. He says, I am not writing to you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience, there's the ought, to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Just so you know, this is John, the disciple of Jesus. He was there with Jesus in the beginning. He, when he and the other disciples were walking with him along the paths of Galilee, they were given this new command by Jesus then. So by the time John writes these three letters, this isn't a new command anymore. Let me read the command when it was new, though. John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. Go to the Gospel of John. It's a few few books back. He says, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must... That's an ought, isn't it? So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So yeah, God can command your love. And that's a good thing because there have been times in my life that my love towards certain people in my life network only happened because I know I needed to love them for Jesus, right? Have you had that experience? Maybe you've had that experience probably more times than you even remember. And after the 300th time that they hurt you or said a nasty word about you, the only reason you probably kept loving them is because Jesus said you ought to. And you know what? That's a good thing that you do that. I used to think, and my heart used to grumble a bit, that loving those people was such a burden. Sometimes I still grumble, to be honest with you. But then I remember that Jesus did it for me. Yeah? 
Jesus did it for me. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, God what? Christ died for us. So while it is a burden, it's a burden that makes us like Christ when we bear it. A burden that lets us join him in his divine work of loving the world until the whole world knows of his incredible love for the world. So yeah, Jesus commands God's work through us. We ought to love one another. He even commands us to love our enemies. You remember some of those statements in the Gospels? Now this work of love stuff is still going to feel like a pretty big burden to us unless something changes in you and me. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. According to John, God's love reaches its fullest expression. It's made complete in us when we love our fellow human beings. When we live in love like he does, we prove that he lives in us. This is the central dynamic of my life network, right? Right there in the center, God in me. We prove that God is in us when we work and we live and we love the people in our life network like he did. In fact, we're living for him and we're loving for him so that others will know him, right? It's a central dynamic of my life network. God is no longer on the outside looking in. He indwells. He now lives in us. And when God lives in you and you live in God, then you will instinctively, maybe not 100% of the time at first, but the more you grow in the love of God who indwells you, then more and more your love will flourish for others like God's love does for you. And you know what? You will be everywhere in your life network. And even in random places where people you don't know are. And you will look at them differently. You will look at them with the eyes and the heart of Jesus. And you will love them. You will see broken people. You will see people who are in pain. You will see people who have injuries or people who have diseases or people who have health issues. And your heart will be compelled to know them and love them and pray for them. In Jesus' name. All of this is the basis for next week's message about how to flourish in God's love. But suffice it to say that all that we have learned today is possible only when something transformational takes place in us. A remodeling from normal human experience and existence to supernatural living. What we're talking about here is a total transformation of your entire person by the indwelling God of love. And only in that relationship can your life flourish. Has that happened to you, my friends? For you here on site, has it happened for you? For you online, is this your experience, a flourishing life in Christ with the indwelling God transforming you? Have you acknowledged that Jesus is the Son of God and do you claim him as your Savior and Lord, as your own? I believe that all of us want two things. 
That's why we're here today and why you've tuned in online. We want to know God for ourselves and we want those we care about to know God like we do. In fact, more than we do. The latter is not something we can force on others. But the former is something we can secure today, isn't it? You can know God today. You can know this God of love today for yourself and be changed. John in his gospel says this in chapter 6, verse 37. Actually, he doesn't say it. Jesus says it, but he's just quoting it. He says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but will raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. How can you know God today personally? Look to the Son. First and foremost, look to Jesus. Believe in him. Believe that he is God's way for you to know him. Give your whole life to him. Without reservation. And I know that, doesn't, that you don't know exactly what all that means right now because there's a lot of things in your life that you will eventually grow to give over to him by acknowledging him as your Savior and Lord. But just start where you are. You don't have to try to make your life perfect. You don't have to try to fix a few things first. You just need to come as you are and you need to accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And he will give you eternal life. And then the nature of your relationship will change from God being on the outside, as we talked about, to God being on the inside. And only in that new relationship will life flourish for you. 